You're listening to Radio Influence. As we inch closer and closer to the end of the college football regular season, let's break down the latest rankings, news, and notes here on Rush the Field, a college football podcast brought to you by Radio Influence. I'm Scott Seidenberg alongside Chris Landry, LandryFootball.com. And Chris, the biggest news in the college football playoff rankings here in this latest edition, because there's no change in the top six, is that Central Florida has cracked into the top 10. They are at number nine ahead of 10-1 and one Ohio State. Well, it was um, was a statement, and I do think it is in direct reflection of how bad Ohio State has looked in the loss to Purdue, in the win to uh, uh, to Maryland last week. Um, I thought it was a statement. I don't know that I would uh, could agree that Central Florida is better than Ohio State, but I can tell you that Ohio State doesn't uh, has not been impressive, and so um, I, I don't. I don't believe all the conspiracy theories about whether they're throwing them a bone or whatever, but I do think that's kind of their point. Now, what's interesting is what happens if there's a little chaos. Now, I think Ohio State jumps right over them if they beat Michigan. Mm -hmm. So it's just it's one of those cases where they look at it every week. And remember, folks, let's remind folks that conference champions matter. No one's won a conference championship yet. So. You know, that is not factored in until the conference champion is crowned. Um, so the, it, it will affect a, a great deal to, to how this is going to play out. Now, how far can Central Florida climb um, and how far down will the teams, if there is a tumble, will they tumble down to Central Florida? In short, there's no chance, really, that Central Florida, as I've said all along, there's no chance that they get into the top four. This is, this is, it's cut to the chase, Scott. This is, this process it was formed by the Power Five Conference, yes. those leagues. Yes. They're not, you know, and I hear this a lot. Well, this is going to cause expansion. This Well, if it's expansion, the expansion is going to be if the, Power five conferences began to get hosed year in and year out. It's not going to be to open it up for the group of five. For example, the Pac-12 and the Big 12, I think, would like expansion mm -hmm. uh, because they've been left out. Let the Big 12 get knocked out again this year and maybe have their champion get knocked out three years in a row, and you're going to have them. That's going to be the third team out of the five, the third conference out of the five that's going to be hollering for a change. Uh, that's what's going to cause the change, but it's not going to be to the benefit of the group of five. I, I can tell you, uh, I think there's a scenario where a group of five team could get in, but it's going to require a lot better schedule than Central Florida has, and they just don't have it this year. Yes, and, and I want to remind people, stop talking about last year. These rankings yeah. don't, they don't care about last year. I know they went undefeated. Great. Good for them. They won a bowl game. Tremendous season. Scott Frost, coach of the year. Fantastic. This season is all that counts towards these rankings. So stop bringing up the fact that they went undefeated for two straight seasons and they should be ranked higher. It means nothing. Last Absolutely. Year. That's and, what and I have to I remind tell you. On film and watching them, there's no doubt last year's team was better than this year's Oh, of team. course they were. And 
But you're right. And I got asked this today. Well, what if they go unbeaten again next year? Again, nothing to do with last year or this year. Next year's next year. The reality is, yes, there is a system of, yeah, it's going to be tough for a group of five team, if not impossible to get in. Uh, But certainly, I think this narrative of give them a shot, this is not a a county fair where you know, you try to try to win mm-hmm, a, a, mm-hmm. a fuzzy animal. I mean, this is picking the four best teams. They're not one of the four best. They don't no. look like it. They don't have a schedule that, that there's nothing that, that to me that says a top four team. And to me, they're two, three lost teams that are better than them. They're not getting in. Now, does that mean that a group of five teams should never get in? I'm not saying that. I, I'm just saying that uh, I, I think that we're getting – we're getting to a point eventually where if we get some some conferences, the Power Five conferences that get frustrated, as I mentioned, that's where the expansion could take place to go to six to eight or eight. But that's going to be for those leagues because I think that if you start to have a team like a conference like the Big Ten and the, the, the political structure of conferences or the SEC is the most powerful than the Big Ten in terms of political clout. Mm-hmm. And – the Big Ten's the one we got to watch because if they get hosed out of it, then that, in particular, they got their conference champion gets left out again. Yeah, like it then, was last year. Yep. Yeah, and that was a two-loss team, but it, it was a problem it, for them. Before that, it was Penn State. Of course, they got knocked out by one of their own, mm-hmm. but they don't, again, that is kind of the argument. Is So I think when you get that, that's where the expansion could take place, but it's not going to open up the door for a group of five team. And I just think that it's going to be, I think we're getting to the point where the conferences are going to want to make sure that their, their team that gets in gets an automatic, you know, bid into the in the, the playoffs. Um, but you know, you won't be having the best teams. Then you just be having the conference champions and you could have the possibility of at large. So we're, I think we're, People say we're headed that way. I, I think we're headed that way, but it's only going to be headed that way. Like in any system that the, the, the playoff, BCS, et cetera, has taken place, it's all been a reactive process. It's not proactive. It's reactive. Mm-hmm. So they love the system. They like it the way it is, particularly the SEC likes it. The ACC likes it because Clemson's been there. The minute they get on the the short side of it, they're not going to like it. No. And then, then that's <laughs> when it's going to change into expand. And and I, I just think that it's important to understand that that's how it works. And I don't think for any reason, I don't care who's in there. I mean, I, it doesn't matter what conference, what part of the country. I, you know, I'm all for Central Florida or anyone else earning their way into it being good enough. I just don't think Central Florida is. And I think what they're getting is they're curring a lot of favor of the, hey, the hey, this March Madness, we love it in basketball. Let's try it in football. No, no, no. That, that's a completely different system. And I don't think you shortchange people that have done a lot more over the season. I think getting to their group of five, uh, you know, excuse me, to the New Year's Six Bowl, which they're going to get, uh, is where they deserve. Mm-hmm. Well, let's update the scenarios here uh, as we sit um, on what November 20th going forward. Uh, the rankings, one through six, are the same. And if one through four win out, then those will be your college football playoff teams. Alabama, your winners of the SEC. Clemson, your winners of the ACC. 
an undefeated Notre Dame team and a 12 and one Michigan team winners of the Big Ten. Those will be your college football playoff participants. And and, and if it ends that way, what it would be, it would be in the Capital One, it would be Notre Dame against Clemson, Cotton, uh, Michigan, and Alabama. The other New Year's Six would look something like this, Sugar Bowl, Oklahoma, Georgia. Got to make some assumptions here if Oklahoma wins out. Rose Bowl, Ohio State, Washington State. Remember, mm-hmm. they would uh, lose the Big Ten champion and would say it's Michigan. Um, it's possibly Michigan could be in there. They get upset in the Big Ten championship game, but right now it would be Right now, it would be Ohio State and Washington State. The Fiesta Bowl would be the aforementioned Central Florida the Golden Knights against an LSU. The Peach Bowl would be uh, probably Penn State, Florida. That's kind of how it would look as it would play out now. Scott, I don't know about you. This I've said it for a few weeks. I'm feeling it more and more. This feels like chalk winning out. More like, say, 2005. I don't, first of all, USC's not beating Notre Dame mm-hmm. and Clemson's not losing. Okay. I'm sorry. Anything can happen. Anytime you tee it up, I get it, folks. 30 years in this business, I get it. It ain't happened. You can just, you can just, you know, you can put in ink a Sharpie marker. Those two teams are in. I think we have to look at the possibility of Alabama, not against Auburn. There's no chance Auburn wins, but. Georgia, there's a possibility there. And I think while it does not look like it on film, I can tell you, you got to respect the fact that Ohio State has talent. And if they put it together in a rivalry game or even Northwestern, which played Michigan well for a half, um, there's where the possibilities of a loss taking place. Uh, But I think I really do, Scott. I don't know how you feel. I think it's going to be the same four we're talking about in two weeks. Alabama, Clemson, Notre Dame, Michigan, in that order. Mm-hmm. I think you're right. And I think the only change that I could see happening is maybe Michigan jumping over Notre Dame, although people would have a problem with that because of the fact that Notre Dame did beat them the first game of the season. I always say, though, in college football, the you know a win early is less important than a win late, and Michigan beating Ohio State would be better than any of Notre Dame's wins all season, even though Ohio State's been down. And and that's the, the biggest argument now, or the biggest debate is three versus four because those are the only rankings that matter. One and two don't mean anything because both of those teams are going to be the home team in their respective semifinal game. Now, the only, and I'm with you, I think it's going to be chalk as well, but the only thing that I see that could happen if Ohio State beats Michigan uh-huh. here this weekend, I don't think that Ohio State is a lock to get into the college football playoff, even if they go on and win the Big Ten championship. Oh, I'm with you. I think that in that scenario, I would put a one-loss Oklahoma Big 12 champion in over Ohio State. Mm. I would also put a two-loss, excuse me, a one-loss Alabama team that loses to Georgia in the SEC championship game in. Uh, Those are the two teams. The Oklahoma one-loss Big 12 champ, and one loss, Alabama, who loses in the SEC championship to Georgia. Those two teams, in my opinion, would be the number four seed over a one loss Big Ten champion, Ohio State. Okay, let me give, I, I'm going to twist the tables on you. I'm going to give you a scenario. Okay, let's make an assumption. How would you rank against Oklahoma in Ohio State? How would you rank 
for one spot. If Washington State soundly beats Washington and then beats Utah soundly in the Pac-12 championship game, how do you look at them up against, and, and again, we're, if you're talking about if Ohio State beats Michigan, that's what we got to look at. That's a, that's a pretty doggone win. That means they're, they're going to be showing something. And then if they beat Northwestern, that'll be impressive. So, again, it's hard but the to, game, But the game is in Columbus, Chris, which I, I no, think. I get it. But if they play well and yeah. beat a good team, that matters. So I'm asking you, <clears throat> how would you, again, they, Ohio State wins out, beats Michigan, beats Northwestern. Oklahoma beats West Virginia. Uh, and then Texas. Assume it's been a high, high scoring. Yeah. And then beats Texas. Washington State maybe shows pretty good defense against Washington and Utah and scores a bunch of points. How do you how do you put Washington State in that mix or do you? I I, I have Oklahoma as the top of those three, and the reason being is Oklahoma would have a win over TC oh, excuse me uh, West Virginia, and by beating Texas in the Big Twelve Championship game, they avenge the only loss on their schedule. Okay, and, and, and to the, me, to me, and, that means a lot. To me, that means now, that they beat everybody on their schedule. Now, to the eyeball test, watching them, if they're giving up like forty points to Kansas and they're giving up a whole bunch of points, um, that doesn't uh, factor into you as, as opposed to maybe in the last couple of games. Assuming that Ohio State on on that scenario, you're talking about. If they win, they probably are making some improvements on defense, or mm-hmm. it's not going to happen. And then Washington State looks good. You still would have Oklahoma ahead of them? I just don't see the committee leaving out this Oklahoma team with that quarterback and an eleven and a twelve and one schedule, twelve and one season. I just don't see it happening. That, that would be Kyler Murray because then Chris, think about this, and we know. I know. I, I, you, 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 sometimes you hate to admit it, but money, promotion, it all comes into play here. Don't you think America and the College Football Playoff Committee would love to see Tua against Kyler Murray one versus four in the oh, national sure. semifinal? Sure, but again, the committee's not supposed to do it that way. They're supposed to make the best. Now, if you want to, in that scenario... <laughs> You're, you're you're talking about okay, Big Twelve gets in. I if you want to go down that route, uh, I would submit that it's going to take some big onions to leave a one loss Big Ten champion out who got blown out by Purdue and got no, no, lucky, I know. and got lucky last week to pull out a win. I know that, but but you can also look at Oklahoma and 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 I think Oklahoma and Ohio State. I can tell you, breaking down the film defensively, they look like. They look very average. They don't look anything like playoff teams. Now, we got to have four of them. Okay, and that's part of the thing about expanding. I'm not sure we're going to have four teams. If, if, the, if chalk holes, we will. But, you know, if somebody stubs their toe, we're going to have somebody in there that really doesn't look like a mm-hmm. playoff team. Now, you go to eight, we're going to have more of that. But, uh, again, I'm talking politically. <laughs> I'm not talking about whether it's deserved or not. I'm just saying. Just let a one-loss Big Ten champion get left out again. Then that's when there's going to be, you know what's going to hit the fan. <laughs> there's going to be a lot of discussion about we got to spend it. I'm not disagreeing with you. I'm bringing it out because that's where I think some of the controversy can be. Let me say this. Alabama will get in with a loss to Georgia if Michigan loses. I, I think that, I think that, that, well, and let me say this, that would 
be controversial if Ohio State wins out. And now Alabama beats out Ohio State again this year. But instead of a two-loss Ohio State, it'll be a one-loss Ohio State. That would be controversial. But I think it would warrant it if Alabama loses to Georgia. It's a one-loss against a really good Georgia team. Georgia would make the playoffs. And I think you'd have a very sound argument. I don't know that many people outside of Buckeye fans would say that Ohio State is as good as Alabama. But, again, it would be leaving out a Big Ten champion for the second year in a row. Uh, That would be, well, excuse me, it would be the third year in a row that a Big Ten champion would be left out. (laughs) And, And one year replaced by another Big Ten team, so it's not as bad for them. But this year would be a one-loss team. Holy macro. Again, Jim Delaney would just <laughs> have a conniption. But I think it would warrant it because I do think that Alabama's a better team than Ohio State. I think they're definitely better than Oklahoma, Washington State, or anybody else. But it'll be interesting because if it's not chalk, if somebody does trip up, uh, who is it? How is it going to play out? Now, let's just go with this. You know, Alabama wins out. Clemson wins out. Notre Dame obviously wins this week. They're in. Then what happens if you have Michigan lose? Um, and let's just say they lose in the Big Ten championship game. Mm. If if Ohio State were to beat them and win out, then, then you're right. It's going to be between Ohio State and Oklahoma. Now, I don't know that the committee will select Oklahoma over Ohio State as you would. I don't know what they would do, but I think it's down to those two if it were to happen. But what if Michigan were to beat Ohio State but lose to Northwestern? Now you got a two-loss Michigan. Mm-hmm. And if Georgia played Alabama well, that's a two-loss team. So at that point, then it's Oklahoma. But what if Oklahoma loses, loses a game? Then, you know, they're out. LSU's not a factor despite the fact that they're ranking there at seven. Uh and what does it do at that point? Then it puts in a Washington State with one loss. Or agree. do you yep. or do you go in two loss Georgia with, with a two loss Georgia mm-hmm. that lost obviously to LSU and to Alabama. The LSU fans will sit there and complain about that they lost to LSU, but they will look good at the end of the year. Will maybe lose in a close game to Alabama. Then then you've got an argument, and I think that it could go with Georgia. But if Georgia gets pounded by Alabama. Uh, then you're dealing with the two-loss Georgia. It's got pounded by Alabama. That also lost to LSU. You got a Michigan team that just lost to Northwestern, an Oklahoma team that would just say lost to West Virginia or Texas, you know, got two losses. Then you're looking at Washington State. You're looking at uh, Ohio State with two losses. You got the not in the, not in the picture. And then you got an unbeaten Central Florida. And then you go down. What do you got then? You got three losses. Three lost Florida. You got two lost West Virginia. Holy macro. That would be the nightmare scenario where you're really trying to find a fourth team and you're just, <laughs> you don't have a lot of pretty options. Well, of course, this is all going to play itself out, hopefully, over the next couple of weeks. And we're going to be dissecting it all right here on Rush the Field. Uh, I want to get into a couple of topics, Chris, before we preview this weekend's games. Uh, we'll start with the award semi semifinalists or finalists, whatever you want to say there. Uh, we'll just mention the two that really are the ones that people are going to be talking about, which is the Maxwell and the Davey O'Brien. The Davey O'Brien is, of course, for the best quarterback in college football, and the award finalists are Tua Tunga-Vailoa, Kyler Murray, 
and Gardner Minshaw, the quarterback for Washington State. Now, the Maxwell Award, which goes to the best player in the nation, which is kind of tied into the Heisman Trophy, if you will, that is Tua Tungavailoa, Kyler Murray, and Will Greer of West Virginia. Interesting that Greer gets to be a finalist for the Maxwell, but not for the Davey O'Brien. Based off what you've seen so far, Chris, is it a shoo-in that Tua is your Maxwell Award winner and your Davey O'Brien Award winner? No, I don't think it's a shoo-in. I think it really depends. Remember, you know, it was not a great first half against the Citadel. I don't think it's a shoo-in as we are taping this podcast. As we go into the Auburn game, if he has the type of game uh-huh. and is healthy to, to perform, um, I, I think he wins it. I think it's his to lose. I think the Heisman is his to lose. I think a good game against Auburn and a, certainly a good game against Georgia, and that's it. I mean, uh, I, think it's, I think it's his. I think if he doesn't have the great game and Kyler Murray does, I think, you know, I think that's a possibility. Now, if you look at, as you know, the history of this, this award, um, they usually kind of split them. So mm-hmm. I mean, it's kind of like, I don't know. I mean, I could see Tua winning the Maxwell. And Kyler Murray winning the Davey O'Brien. Yeah, or, or, or reverse or and then, something. And then Tua wins the Heisman. Yeah, I don't I don't think Will Greer or uh, Gunnar Minshew is going to are gonna be, I think they'll lose that. I think it's Tua. I think it's Murray. I don't think there's anybody else in the race for the Heisman quarterback, Maxwell. I think it's those two, and I think it's really Tua and his health and his performance uh, the the rest of the way. Um, that's going to really determine it. And, of course, how Kyler you know, plays. Uh, but I, I just think this Oklahoma offense is dealing this Alabama team with success against Auburn, which I think they're going to have, and against Georgia – uh, I think that probably that then we can say I think it's a shoe in. But right now, you know, you look at it, he hadn't played a lot lately. And when he's played, he hadn't been all that. It, we got to go back to the LSU game, gimpy as he was before he had. We really remember it. If you think about it, you know, not, you know, had was banged up against Mississippi State. You know, it was only 24 points. I mean, <laughs> you know, I, I think that people are kind of they're not. He's just not putting up the ridiculous numbers that he has, which is really, quite frankly, just in competition against himself. What did you make? I wanted to bring this up with you. What did you make of the Ed Oliver situation with Major Applewhite going down there at Houston? And by the way, Ed Oliver is expected to play on Friday. Houston mm-hmm. takes on Memphis, Memphis. So that's going to be the first time that he's been in action since uh, the middle of October, about a month ago, when he got hurt himself against Navy. But what did you make of that whole sideline incident? Well, it was... Disappointing. I think, um, you know, it certainly could have been handled better in both ways. Uh, obviously, the communication of why it happened and in the whole, okay, only starters are going to, you know, be wearing the coat and whatnot. You know, you, you would hope that both could have handled a little bit better. I, I am pleased that both came out and admitted that they could have handled it better. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've been asked the question. I'll answer it. No, Ed, it's not going to affect Ed Oliver's draft stock because he hollered at a coach and he showed some disrespect and he didn't handle it right. I think the fact that he came out and did that, uh, it admitted that he should have handled it better, is showed some maturity. And also, Scott, the young man has never had an issue. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So that that's in his favor. If it's a pattern, then it's a bigger issue. Um, a more, you know, the other thing I think 
my thought was clear when it happened. Oh, this is this is this has been a burr up their saddle because they felt he's been healthy. I don't like, and this is maturity. This is just me. It's just not a good look in pregame to be running around in sweats, catching balls, and showing every sign that you're healthy, but you're not playing. It's just, it's almost like inviting criticism. Don't do that. I mean, you know, if you're not healthy enough to play, then don't be doing frivolous activity just kind of in warm-up. And we're not talking about going through drills. We're talking about, you know, playing with equipment guys and catching balls. and that, That's, you know what I mean? That That's just that, that's just not a real prudent thing to do. Um, and I think they felt like he was ready to play and didn't want to play. And I admire him for playing. I, want, I Some people thought he was going to shut it down for the rest of the year. He's going to play this week. So I, I think that it's going to all kind of kind of fall by the wayside, but it was a bad look on both sides. Would uh, LSU, uh, excuse me, um, Kansas hires Les Miles, their 40th head football coach. They still have a long way to go. Um, you know, they've, they've had scholarship issues um, dating back to Charlie Weiss. Their facilities are not up to snuff, but hey, the Mad Hatter is back <laughs> and he makes college football more fun. When he's on the sidelines, you and I both know that. Uh, happy or satisfied with the hire here from Kansas? Did they get their right guy? Well, I don't know. I'm happy for Les, and he wants the job. He wanted to get back in coaching. Um, that's that's great. I I don't think it was the best hire for Kansas personally. You know, um, now let me say this. The expectations are not that high at Kansas. Agreed. If you can find a way to win five games, eventually win six, get bowl eligible, you can have that job forever. Um, so you're not going to be expected to win big there. Um, I don't know if you're going to build a program and you're going to try to do some things and be aggressive, then that job is tailor-made for a young, bright coach. And let, let me say this. I, 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 don't, I don't think Jeff Long necessarily wants to, to publicize this, but he didn't get a lot of biters on this job. So let's keep this in mind. Um, you know, a guy like Seth Luttrell, who's a Kansas GA, who's done a great job at North Texas, not that interested. I don't know that Dan Enos and Ed Warner and Willie Fritz, guys that I recommended, particularly Fritz and Warner, were all that gun ho And Ed Warner's, you know, he's he's a, on Michigan staff as an assistant. Willie Fritz is the head coach at Tulane. They, they've got Kansas ties to the university and to the state. I don't think they were all that excited about it. So I don't know that the pool was as good as people might think. I hear people say, well, they should go and hire Jeff Munkin. And I, don't, <laughs> I don't think oh, Jeff Munkin, uh, excuse me, uh, Todd, you know, Todd Munkin. I, I, I don't think he wanted that. You know I mean? I just, I don't think they necessarily wanted it. I don't think it's a really good fit for Les at his age to, to necessarily say we're going to build a program. I, I, I want to see what they're willing to do with the staff. Hire maybe a bright young guy. What's he going to do on offense? I mean, here's the problem with Les in the job like this. Les's strength is as a recruiter. He's he doesn't up coach his players. His he will get at the talent level or below what his what he has from a coaching standpoint. You're not going to recruit great at Kansas, so I you know that's a place where you're going to have to make more out of Les. Pardon the pun. And I don't think he's that type of dynamic coach. Um, yes, he's been in the league before at Oklahoma State. 
Yes, he was there at LSU and recruited well and did a nice job, but I want to see what he's going to do offensively. And I, you know, if he's going to try to do what he's done in the past, I don't think it's going to work. You know, speaking of LSU, they face off against Texas A&M here on Saturday night. How close, according to what you know, how close was LSU to hiring Jimbo Fisher? Well, uh, not as close as people think. They went okay. after him really hard, but never got to it. Let's go back to the year in which basically they thought they had a deal done. In fact, Thanksgiving week. So it would be, gosh, I'm losing track. Is it three years now? So three years. Uh, as as we as the crow flies, we we we're sitting here and Les Miles was done. If you remember, it was you know that was pretty clear in, internally. They were making a run at Jimbo Fisher. They couldn't get a deal done with them. Uh, they offered him the job, or you know not officially, but they were trying to work out a deal. He wanted a, a, a pretty hefty deal. And as it went down into the process, they couldn't consummate a deal. Mm. It went to Thanksgiving. It went to Friday. And all of a sudden, it was chaos. And they're playing A&M at home. Les Miles, I mean, it was known on his staff. He was gone. Les even talked to the players. And without saying, hey, guys, I'm gone, he basically talked to the players. Um, and a lot of them individually, you've done a good job of hanging there. You've done. I mean, it was all... Every player thought he was gone as the, as they did not have a plan B and as the chancellor and to some degree, the governor got involved that they were going to have to buy out less and they weren't, they were not able to get a deal done with Jimbo Fisher. They said, this is an embarrassment and they had left less dangling in the wind for weeks. And so, Les goes out in typical Les fashion. They beat A and M. Gets carried gets off the carried field. Carried off the field. <laughs> chanting his it, name. Yeah. And, and chanting his name. And, and it was literally this hurried where they said, "You know, we, we we don't have another option." And they couldn't. They couldn't feel like they like if they wanted to make a move, they should have done it and conducted a search. But they didn't have a search. They had one guy in mind. They couldn't get a deal done with Jimbo. So they said, "Well." We're going to support less. And, and, of course, that was the worst thing because he was a lame duck coach. And, as you know, the next year he got fired in well, early October, mm -hmm. late September after the Auburn game. Then again, Ed Orgeron, the interim coach, they make another run at Jimbo. Jimbo now is asking for more money. And, of course, they couldn't get a deal, tried to woo him, and they got out of it. LSU did pretty quickly. That's when they made a run off of the job to Tom Herman. And again, ironically, they're playing a and <laughs> And they offered the job to Tom Herman. If you remember, Charlie Strong at Texas loses to Kansas. And that was the final straw. And Texas, the, the big power brokers, some of them that wanted to give Charlie another year after the Kansas game said, no, we need to move on it. And the apple of their eye was former GA at Texas, Tom Herman at Houston. Exactly. So they made the run, and they usurped uh, the deal and got the deal done with Tom Herman under Joe Oliva's nose. And Joe Oliva, in a panic, decided because he didn't again, Jimbo, you know, couldn't get a deal done with Jimbo, couldn't get a deal done with Tom Herman. So now they're in a situation where, they felt like, well, um, they wanted to save face and just how immature some of these guys can be. If you remember, 
Texas was ready to announce and get a deal done that Saturday. They LSU was playing AM on a Friday, Black Friday. LSU goes ahead and announced Ed Orgeron like at six in the morning they let leak it out <laughs> so that they can get him hired before Herman as if they were going to convince He was their people. choice, no, yeah. We didn't want Tom Herman anyway. And it was just so childish and so uh, transparent what had happened. But that is, you know, how it happened. So, I, you know, to tell you how close, it never got that close because the money didn't get that close. But there was, a, I can tell you this, uh, LSU thought they had Jimbo Fisher twice, and it didn't quite work out. Officially, no offer was made, but there was talk of money. It got that far. And in both cases, a lot of the financial issues within the state and having to buy out Les's big contract and go and pay Jimbo, this was, it never quite got to it. But Jimbo's uh, had good relationships here and um, it was somebody that I think most people wanted. Um, Ed is now certainly. LSU's guy and we'll see long range as they're going to not only be playing each other this weekend, but going forward, uh, we'll see that matchup and see which program is better in three years. Well, let's take a look at the matchups this weekend, Chris, and we'll start on Black Friday where we will see Oklahoma and West Virginia and the games that I'm talking about are the ones that are going to have implications on the college football playoff standing. So number six, Oklahoma, number 13, West Virginia, the games in Morgantown. So that's why I think it gives West Virginia a little bit of a boost. That was a bad loss last week. And I thought mm-hmm. that they were going to take advantage of a team in Oklahoma state that was riding an emotional low, but I'll give Mike Gundy a ton of credit because that team trailed in the fourth quarter and rallied from 10 points down to score 14 unanswered and win that football game. 45, 41 Oklahoma state over West Virginia. So now West Virginia is sitting here thinking, all right, well, now we lost out on a chance to go to the college ball playoff. As as bleak as that was, we still had an outside chance, but we still have a chance to go to the Big 12 title game. How do you see these two teams matching up with each other and what is expected to be another offensive shootout? Well, you mentioned it in Morgantown, and it's a, definitely an advantage here for West Virginia. Better, I feel better about it than I'm doing it, Norman. Uh, but I, I still like Oklahoma here. Uh, Listen, we're looking at the defenses here, and, you know, I don't trust either defense. Oklahoma's defense, giving up 40 to Kansas, that, that gives anybody hope against them. I think West Virginia's got a shot here, uh, but Oklahoma's managed to find a way to win. They've got one more to get that rematch with Texas, and we'll see how it plays out. But I, I could see West Virginia pulling it out here. I'm going with Oklahoma, but I think this is, as expected, going to be a high-scoring affair. Unless there's some turnovers, I don't see much defenses um, making a lot of play here. I think it's going to have to be some drop balls and some mistakes by the offenses. Um, I just, I'm just not impressed with this Oklahoma defense. Now let's move on to the other game on Friday that is going to have an implication. It's the only chance that Washington State has is to continue their run, the Apple Cup which is going to be a matchup, in my opinion, that is reverse of what we've seen in recent years, Chris, right? We've seen Washington have the leg up in this matchup for the past several years under Chris Peterson. Now it's the opposite. I think Washington State wins this one, and I don't actually think it's going to be that close. Well, it's in Pullman. Washington struggled to get anything done offensively, and I think they'll have a good game plan defensively. Chris Peterson and staff does a really good job, but I'm with you. I think Washington State, 
is doing a pretty good job defensively, and I don't know that Washington's going to be able to do a whole lot. Maybe they can run the football a little bit, shorten the game, but that's their only chance. I think Washington State's offense is too much. It's in Pullman, and, you know, they, they've got to get Washington this year. They have struggled in the Apple Cup, and, um, you know, I think this is a, a, going to be a challenge, but I'm with you. Washington State's the better, better team here. The mustaches will be out for Gardner Minshaw, <laughs> I'll tell you that much. Uh, let's go to Saturday where it's the game. It's Michigan-Ohio State. Uh, this one is going to be at the Horseshoe, which is, in my opinion, the only reason why Ohio State has a chance to win this game because they defensively, we talked about it before, have looked inept at times this year. And, and for everything that they're doing well offensively, Dwayne Haskins, if, it, if not for guys like Tua and Kyler Murray, we would be talking about the tremendous season that Dwayne Haskins has had mm-hmm. at the quarterback position for Urban Meyer. But I think I think Jim Harbaugh has this Michigan team in a really good state right now. And there's a reason why they're four-point road favorites in Columbus. They are a better football team. They're a more complete football team. And I think that's going to be the X factor in this game, the team that is more complete that plays well in all three facets of the game that's going to come away with the victory, and that's why I have Michigan over Ohio State. Well, listen, Michigan's the better team this year. The, the, the film says it, it, it clearly. It, it speaks it every week, week in and week out. The problems on Ohio State's defense has been real, and it's been consistent from TCU to, you know, to, certainly Michigan State could not do much offensively. This just doesn't look like an impressive Ohio State team. That's why they dropped in the rankings that we're talking about. Um, the pressure's on Michigan, though, because Michigan's got a national playoffs potentially at stake, on, you know, first of all, uh, a, a, a berth in the Big Ten championship game uh, that could lead to a berth in the, the playoffs. They're expected to win. They've been the better team uh, this year. Uh, they've not won in a while. Jim's got to finish the deal, right? Uh, it is in Columbus. Um, and you know, you know that there's potential there with Ohio state to put it together. And if they do, you know, they're capable of winning, but everything I recognize it's a rivalry game. Anything can happen. I think Michigan's going to have to play poorly for Ohio state to win. I I think it is that much of a difference. And sometimes you got to look at Ohio State and say, well, maybe it's this week. Maybe it's that week. You know what? Maybe it's not going to happen because at this point, they're just not that good. Uh, the other talented. Yes, they're, they're in the Clemson-Alabama range in terms of five stars, but they've done nothing to, to embody that on the field this year. I don't see it happening. It wouldn't shock me because of the stature of the rivalry, the fact that it's in Columbus the fact that it would make Ohio State season, and for all the browbeating, for all the knocking of Ohio State, if they win out, who's to say they can't make the playoff? That's still a possibility for them. But if you're Michigan, you're Jim Harbaugh, God help you if you don't win it because mm. this would be a big-time mental block for them if they go in appreciably better this year than Ohio State and if they lay an egg. I think this is all about Michigan and what they can or can't do. Chris, in 1977, Alabama was a 22-point favorite over Auburn in the Iron Bowl, and uh, mm-hmm. they, I believe they covered that line. Uh, in 2012, they were a 32-point favorite over Auburn, and that was the record for the highest point spread in the Iron Bowl. 
Now, Alabama was 10-1 and that year, and Auburn was 3-8 and and 0-7 and in conference play. This year, Auburn is a 7-4 and football team. Alabama is a 24-point favorite over Auburn in the Iron Bowl. When you watch both of these teams, and I know it's hard to compare Alabama to anybody because they look better than everybody, but is there really that big of a disparity between these two teams heading into one of the great rivalries in college football? I think there is because Alabama is that good. Uh, if you go back to some of those games, and I remember those games, um, I, you know, Alabama was good, but in some of those cases, as you mentioned, Auburn, Auburn was, was bad. bad. Yes. Um, this is an Auburn team that's been disappointing this year. Um, they've kind of right in the ship to a degree, but when you watch them, they're really bad on offense. So when I look at it, and okay, let's try to make a case for Auburn. Well, where are they going to get the points? I mean, they can't run the football like they normally do. They can't throw it. They're not very good on the offensive line. All a problem against Alabama. And, oh, by the way, it's not typical Alabama that, okay, a lot of times under Saban, you know, Auburn has sometimes been good. Sometimes they've been real good. And, they listen, Gus Malzahn has beaten Nick Saban twice. Nobody else that's the head coach in the SEC has beaten them once. The difference is you got to score a lot of points to keep up with Alabama. And so the past, um, the past Alabama teams have kept it close games because the defense has been really good, but the offenses have been more ground and pound. I just think that Alabama has a real opportunity to make some plays in the passing game. I, I think if Auburn has a shot, it's the fact that their defense could put together a performance like against Mississippi, like Mississippi State did against them. So I don't know that Alabama scores 40. Maybe they score 30. Maybe it's only 24, 28 points. But I still look at Auburn and think, how are they going to score points? Not unless Alabama turns it over. Not unless there's a quarterback injury. Not unless they give some points to Auburn. This is a big difference between this Auburn and this Alabama team because Auburn is a pretty average team, and Alabama appears to be a great team, although they've not played great the last two games. They're still quite a bit better. I think this is a, a decisive win. Yeah, I, I, would, I would agree with that. Chris, we go to LandryFootball.com this week. Besides the film room previews of these games, which you know we basically ran through here just now, what else can we find? Well, we're going to get the, the details on all these games and many more, all the NFL action as well, it's a big weekend, obviously, the biggest weekend of football, and it's like a weekend that starts on Thursday. So we'll have all that covered, and we're working hard on a lot of things. we got our podcast up, but we're also working on recruiting, which is going to a quick turnaround after we put the conference championship games to bed. So we've got that. We've got all the draft updates, everything going on around the world of football, but also breaking down the game from inside the firm room, as we always do, breaking down personnel, how players are grading out, how teams are grading out, that's what we got for you at LandryFootball.com. And we got a special holiday discount for folks. If you're listening to this podcast and you're not a member of LandryFootball.com, give us a shot. You can try it out for a month or three months or six months. We got a special. It's a great holiday gift for someone in your family that will last all year long. Check it out. It's uh, the, the year membership uh, that's really affordable, less than a magazine subscription. You can have all of the rest of the season all of the offseason where we break down recruiting, the draft, 
all the way through next football season. So what a great gift, a gift that keeps on giving all year long. So check us out at LandryFootball.com and follow us over on Twitter at LandryFootball. That's right. Join all 32 NFL teams, 78 major college football programs, become members of LandryFootball.com. And Chris, you mentioned the recruiting. We're like a month away from early signing period. So uh, there's definitely going to be some recruiting news that you want to find Absolutely. out. And don't forget, membership options include monthly, three, six, nine, or yearly. You can get access to the insights of veteran coach, scout, and administrator today. And just tell them where you heard about this deal, LandryFootball.com. And catch new episodes of the Landry Football Podcast each Tuesday and Thursday. And new episodes of this, Rush the Field, available each and every Wednesday. He's Chris Landry on Twitter, at LandryFootball. I'm Scott Seidenberg on Twitter, at Scott's On Air. Rush the Field can be found on Apple Podcasts, Tune in radio, Google Play, and radioinfluence.com. Chris, have a happy Thanksgiving, and I'm sure we'll be talking about some chaos coming up shortly. Oh, we should. Hey, happy Thanksgiving to you, bud, and uh, enjoy the festival, fun family, and football this week. Absolutely. This is an In the Trenches with Ian Beckles. Quick Fix on Radio Influence. We're at a point now where Ryan Fitzpatrick needs to sit on the bench. Not because he's that much worse than Jameis. He needs to sit on the bench. He's a 35-year-old quarterback and a journeyman, and that's how we should treat him. Jameis Winston was our first pick in the draft four years ago, and we need to see whether he is worth a darn. Okay? Put Ryan Fitzpatrick on the bench and let Jameis on himself if you have to. But don't bring him off the bench no more. It doesn't make any sense anymore. I mean, Ryan Fitzpatrick has lost five straight starts. So that's enough, isn't it? And some of those interceptions were elementary type interceptions. To me, it looks like I've been on a football team before and I guess that would have been in 1995 where just before Tony Dungy got here, Sam Weitz was our coach, and Sam and Trent Dilford did not get along. And Sam was our offensive coordinator, also um, pretty much our quarterback's coach. And Trent Dilford was a first-round pick. Now, from what I've heard through the, in the, through the grapevine, Sam didn't even want to pick Trent Dilfer. Okay, he, was, he wanted to go with Craig Erickson, who was getting better as a quarterback, and we were making strides as an offense. Then we brought in Trent Dilfer, and then the rest is history. But... Trent and, and, and Sam didn't get along. And it's almost impossible to be successful as an offense when your offensive coordinator doesn't get along with your, your quarterback. To me, it doesn't seem like Dirk Cutter and Jameis Winston is a fit anymore. And if you remember going back to why Dirk Cutter got the job, he got the job because of his relationship with Jameis Winston. So the second that Jameis Winston gets benched, Dirk Cutter should have went with him. Period. In the Trenches with Ian Beckles can be found on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Google Play, and RadioInfluence.com.